everybody? Is my mic on? Can you all hear me? Do you all feel as good as you look? Because you all look marvelous. <laughs> great to see you today. Um, it's great that God wins even on weekends when uh, the Vols don't, right? Amen. Uh, yeah. Uh, anyway, uh, yeah, the Vols are off next week, and so apparently they wanted to take off a week early so they could have two weeks off. But uh, anyway... Uh, I know we have a few Alabama fans, but uh, we won't hold that against them. You know, I am excited about another team, though, and it wouldn't mean a lot to you, but I grew up in Illinois, and the Chicago Cubs are in the playoffs. You don't know how big a deal that is. 1945, since the last time they've been to the World Series, 20 years before I was born. So uh, it's, looking, it's looking promising. I'm excited. But I'm more excited than I am than that. I'm excited about what God's doing at Life Church. I'm excited about this service. And I'm excited about baptism. And, uh, uh, you know, we're in, this, we're in this series on Proverbs. And I was trying to figure out how to talk about baptism in connection with Proverbs. Because Proverbs kind of took place before Christian baptism, you know. But I did find a, and we're calling it God's Twitter feed, our, uh, our series. And I did find a proverb that I thought fit, um, and that is this proverb from Proverbs chapter 28, 13, that says, people who conceal their sins will not prosper, but if they confess and turn from them, they will receive mercy. People that conceal themselves, their sins will not prosper, but people who confess and turn from them, they will receive mercy. I'm going to talk about baptism today, and I'm going to call it baptism. It's kind of a big deal. It's kind of a big deal. And, and the reason I'm calling it that is because in our efforts to be theologically correct, sometimes I think we unintentionally minimize the importance of baptism. And what I mean by that is we as Christians, as Protestants, most Protestants believe that we are saved by nothing that we do. It's how many believe this? Solely by the grace of God. We are saved by grace through faith. Amen? Amen. There's nothing that we can do to save ourselves. And so in our efforts to talk about that and really to give evidence to that, sometimes inadvertently we will minimize baptism because we say, you know, we're saved by grace and baptism is, is just a symbol. And, and I just want to say from the outset, baptism isn't just anything. It's not just a symbol. In fact, it's actually more than a symbol. It's a sign in the Gospel of John, he talks about baptism being a sign, and a sign points to something. And baptism points us to the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But not only does it point to it, it participates in it. So that when we are baptized, we are participating in something that happened over 2,000 years ago, the death and the resurrection of Jesus we are taking it on as our own. So it not only points to it, but it participates in it. So it's, it's kind of a big deal. So could you just turn to your neighbor and say, it's kind of a big deal. Yeah, it is. It's kind of a big deal. Baptism uh, is pretty important. I was thinking back this morning about when I was baptized. It was 1972. And uh, my father was my pastor and just a little bit about my dad that some of you may not know. My dad, uh, when he was 30 years old, was diagnosed with terminal kidney disease. Uh, he had a kidney disease that was going to completely shut down his kidneys. And back in the early 70s, 
Kidney transplants were just at the very beginning of when they were doing kidney transplants. So his prospects weren't very good. And so I remember when I was a kid, my dad preaching, sitting down in a chair as his kidneys were beginning to fail. In fact, they they did something back then that they don't do now. They took both of his kidneys out, uh, and uh, he was on a dialysis machine. So he had no kidneys for a while, and he would just go uh, for dialysis treatment, and uh, he would preach to us. But But they were beginning to do these experimental kidney transplants back at that time. And so his family was tested to see if any of them would qualify to give him a kidney, and his mother was a good match uh, to give him a kidney. And she was not only a good match, but she was very willing uh, and, uh, and excited to give him a kidney. And so I remember very clearly um, my dad going up to Mayo Clinic. I'm a little kid at the time. I wasn't really fully aware of what was going on. I just knew dad was fainting in the house and things were just not normal at our home. And uh, so my grandmother was a very good woman. She, you know, when you think of a grandmother, she was that grandmother. She uh, crocheted and, you know, made afghans and all that kind of stuff. She was, she was that kind of grandmother. But having said that, she was a good grandmother, but she had never given her life to Jesus. She just raised her family um, well and, and loved her kids and all of that, but never had made a personal profession of faith. And my dad had become a Christian because of some guy knocking doors in the neighborhood that invited my dad to go to Sunday school, and that's how my dad got in. But her, but the parents, oh, sorry, some Alabama fans just walked in. So, sorry about that. <laughs> so anyway, my, my dad was, uh, you're, 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 everyone is welcome in this place. Um, so my, my dad, uh, <coughs> where was I? Well, okay, so 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 he's get my my grandmother's getting ready to give him a kidney, and it's on the night before that she's going to give him the kidney, and she calls. She's a good grandmother, but she's not a godly grandma. That's where I was. She calls my dad down to her room, and she says, with tears in her eyes, my dad had the wheelchair down to her room. He's he's in next to her bed in a wheelchair, and she says to him, "I do not want to go through this surgery." without knowing the Lord. And my grandmother gave her heart to Jesus in a hospital bed on the night before she gave my dad a kidney. And so she gave my dad a kidney, and after the transplant, which was successful, and she got healthy enough, my grandmother and I, in 1972, were baptized at the same time. Pretty cool. It was kind of a big deal. It, it, was, it was very, very exciting. Baptism is important not just for what you might think of as bad. It's important for grandmothers. It's important for young people. It's important for, for everybody. And the reason it's important for everybody, and one of the reasons it's kind of a big deal, and if you're taking notes, there's a place in your worship guide you can do that, is that it's this, because there are no perfect people. The reason baptism is important is because all of us need it. Part of, part of being a believer in Jesus is understanding and confessing our need that, that, that we can't do it on our own. In fact, Acts 2.38 said, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, every one of you, 
in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. It's kind of a big deal. Because there are no perfect people, we all need to be baptized. It's a recognition of our need for God, and it's an acting out of what Jesus did for us in our salvation and when, he, when he died and rose from the dead, and he gave us that free gift. When we go down into the water, our sins are buried, and we come up to walk in newness of life. I want to read to you a story from Acts chapter 8 about baptism. And the evangelist's name is Philip. And uh, you, you know how it is when you hear somebody with your name, Philip. Uh, my mother, my mother uh, kind of impressed upon us what she wanted out of her children. My, my, my brother's name was John. My, my other brother's name was Paul. And my name was Philip. And so she had uh, a decoupage. Some of you don't know what that is, but it's like a piece of wood where you put some you know, stuff on it and something called lacquer. You put lacquer on it and you, you put it on it. I mean, you know what I'm talking about. Home interiors kind of stuff, you know, yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, so, you know, it, uh, uh, it, said, it said these three phrases. John the Beloved, Paul the Apostle, and Philip the Evangelist. John the Beloved, Paul the Apostle, and Philip, she had high aspirations for her kids. I'm sure we disappointed her. But she, but she, she, she wanted us to do well. And she named, they named us after these characters in the Bible. So this is my namesake, Philip. In Acts chapter 8, just to give you a little bit of context as to what's going on, the first martyr has, uh, has just taken place. Stephen has just been killed for his faith. And as a result of that, the, uh, the Christians are scattering because persecution is breaking out. Now, on first hand, it looks like a bad deal that the Christians are having to run for their lives. But the first persecution was actually the cause of the greatest spread of the gospel in the early church because persecution drove them out of their comfort zones and drove them into the four corners of the earth and when they, when they went there, they brought the gospel with them. So this is Philip, one of the early deacons in the church. In chapter 8, he, is, he has run away to a place called Samaria. And so it says, beginning in verse 4, Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. And when the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they played Close attention to what he said, for with shrieks impure spirits came out of many, many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. There was great joy in that city. But when they believed Philip as he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom and the name of Jesus Christ, down to verse 12, they were baptized, both men and women. I mean, this is a revival. People are getting saved, people are getting healed, there was demonic oppression in that city, and it's leaving as the gospel is being preached, and amazing, amazing things are happening. And when they believed, they were baptized. That's the next point if you're taking notes. Belief is evidenced by baptism. It's kind of a big deal. In the, New, in the New Testament, there is no concept of unbaptized believers. 
Because if you believed, you were baptized. He who believes and is baptized, the scripture says, will be saved in Mark chapter 16, 16. We know that your faith saves you, but faith without works is what? Faith without works is dead. If there's no evidence of your faith, it brings into question whether the faith is really there. So have you believed to the extent of being baptized? Uh, Max Lucado said that baptism differentiates the tire kickers from the car buyers. Baptism differentiates between the tire kickers and those who purchase. Those who are just checking it out. Baptism is sort of that demarcation that says, yes, I don't know everything. I don't know everything about the whole journey, but I'm ready to say, yes, I belong to him and I belong to Jesus. And that's what the purpose of baptism is. So belief is evidenced by baptism. Now we're going to continue on. Just this, this great revival has broken out in the city of Samaria. And I imagine Philip's calling all of his deacon buddies and they're, they're uh, on their cell phones with each other and texting and tweeting back and forth. And they're, and they're saying, hey, how many did you baptize? Man, we baptized 500 yesterday in our town. And, and they said, oh, that's, you think that's big? We did 750 in our town, you know. And they're all, they're all describing their, their baptisms and how many people were healed and all of these wonderful things that were happening. And while all of that's happening, a very interesting thing happens in verse 26. He's right in the middle of the revival, and and now an angel of the Lord speaks to Philip and says, I want you to go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch an important official in charge of all the treasury of Kandaki, which means the queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship. Now, now, now you got to catch this. He's in a revival. They're having big crowds. Amazing things are happening. In the middle of the revival, it doesn't say the revival died down and Philip left, in the middle of the revival, the city is shaking. The place is filled with joy. An angel speaks to Philip and says, I want you to go to the desert because there's somebody in the desert and he's an Ethiopian eunuch. Now, not to be crass, but a eunuch means some, a male who has been castrated. And the reason that he's been castrated is because he works for the queen of Ethiopia, and in ancient times, one of the ways that you would make sure that your servant was a trusted servant, especially if he's working with the queen, was to do that. And so he was a eunuch. So, so imagine he, um, um, he feels as if his potency has been taken from him. He is an interesting guy because even though he's from Ethiopia, he's apparently a Jewish proselyte because he has been to Jerusalem to worship. 
The Bible says that he has, he has been to Jerusalem to worship. So here's this guy. In Judaism, you have like, like three levels. You have the natural born Jew. Those are really the in crowd. But then you have the proselytes who are converts, who they are, but they aren't. You know what I mean? They're, they're, they're Jews, but they're, they're foreign Jews. They, 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 they kind of got in on a whim. And then there's the Gentiles who are completely out. So this guy's kind of in that middle ground. He's, 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 he's a, a convert to Judaism, not a natural-born Jew. But he's this Ethiopian who feels like his potency has been taken away. He doesn't feel like a fully accepted Jew. And he's on a chariot. And while he's on the chariot, let's continue with the reading here. And on his way was sitting in his chariot, reading from the book of Isaiah, the prophet, And the Spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. He leaves the revival so that God could send him to one chariot to a man who doesn't feel like he quite fits in. And then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. And Philip says to him, do you understand what you're reading? How can I? He said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. And and it just so happens, it just so happens by by coincidence, if you will, one of those, how many know that one of those God coincidences? One of of those, he, he could have been reading anywhere in the Bible, and he just so happens to be reading in the book of Isaiah, and, and, and he's reading a passage that says, He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth, and in his humiliation he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. And the eunuch asked Philip, Tell me please, who is the prophet talking about himself? Or someone else. He's reading in the book of Isaiah. He doesn't understand that he's reading a prophecy about Jesus. He's reading about a prophecy about the fact that Jesus was going to be humiliated. That Jesus was going to die on the cross. And so he, he's, he's confused as he's reading because he's reading and says, man, Isaiah's talking here, but it sure doesn't seem like he's just talking about himself. Is he talking about himself or is he talking about someone else? And then Philip, with that very passage of Scripture, he took that very passage of Scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. And as they traveled along the road, they came to some water. What a coincidence, they're in the desert. He's reading a place in Isaiah that has to do with the death of Jesus. And they find water in the desert. Here is water, and then the Ethiopian says, what can stand in the way of, be- of my being baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. I don't know why, but I, that, that, that phrase just arrested me. 
Stop the chariot. Some of you are going through life right now and you are having some feelings inside that that you're beginning to get a glimpse of maybe who Jesus is and and there, there there's some clouds are beginning to clear for you and you're going through life and you're doing all that you know to do. This guy had been to Jerusalem to worship. He's doing all that he knows to do. But sometimes you got to stop the chariot. You, you've, got to, you, you've got to come to a point how many know that there's a paralysis of analysis? We can look at it, we can study it, we can think about it, we can, we can be chronic seekers and never finders. And, and, and there's got to be a time when we say, Start! Hit the brakes. Stop the chariot. Here's water. What's stopping me? And then the Bible says, Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing, rejoicing. I want to take just a few thoughts out of that before we we begin our baptism time. And that is this, that God will take, God will take extreme measures to find you. God will go out of his way. Somebody needs to hear today that God knows your address. He will send somebody to leave a revival to find you. There's nothing that's happening in Samaria that's more important to God than what's happening in your house. There's some of you that are going through life right now and you're wondering, does anyone see me? I'm alone. I'm in a desert right now. And it seems like good things are happening elsewhere. How many of you, I I know that feeling, my goodness. There's a song we used to sing, while on others you are falling, do not pass me by. How many of you ever felt that way? While on others you're falling, don't pass. So here's this person in the desert. They're hearing about revivals in Samaria. Things are happening here. What about on my desert road? What I'm experiencing, I'm I'm faithfully working for this queen. I've given up everything to work for her. I'm, I'm spiritually hungry. And God will go to extreme waters, extreme measures to find you. I just want to say this morning, baptism is kind of a big deal. And he would take somebody away in order to find you. I just want to say this, and I don't want to make this too personal this morning, but I told you this is Philip, so I kind of relate to this Philip guy. My wife and I were having prosperous ministry in Illinois. We loved it. I was thinking this morning about a sermon that I preached one time in hip waders in Illinois. I wore hip waders while I preached, and I preached 
about John the Baptist who kind of preached in hip waders. He was John the Baptist. He was, he was the baptizing kind of guy. And I preached in hip waders. And, and we had some people scheduled to be baptized that morning. And at the end of that service, I made an impassioned plea, whether you prepared to be baptized or not, if you want to be baptized today, come and be baptized. And we had people just standing up in the crowd and coming forward. And we had a, a massive baptism that day. Some that had been prepared to do it ahead of time. Some not prepared to do it ahead of time. And all of that. And, and, and those were wonderful days. And, and, and right in the middle of all of that, God spoke to us. In, 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 and I don't say that lightly. I'm not one of these kind of guys that hears voices. Probably on one hand, I can tell you in my lifetime when I would say God spoke to me. I was in Israel when God spoke to me and talked to me about Knoxville, and spoke to me about this church, and spoke to me about all of that. We went from a church that, we, you know, we had been that for almost 20 years, and we came to Knoxville, and at first sometimes we wondered what we were doing. And as I studied this passage this morning, I thought about Philip being called from one place to another place, and God just put a fire in my heart, because I just want to say this morning, there's people in Knoxville that need to be baptized. There are people in Knoxville that need to stop the chariot where they're at, that are going through life right now. Knoxville that kind of claims to be the Bible Belt. Knoxville that's got churches on every corner. Knoxville that many of these buildings are sitting empty today because people have been burned by the church or they've gotten tired of religion or they've gotten to a place where, where they couldn't find Jesus among all the religiosity. So you're in a church this morning that It's not very churchy, but we want you to know about Jesus. And Jesus loves you enough and cares enough. And there's people in Knoxville, some of you, some in the sound of my voice, but some not in the sound of my voice right now. There's people outside of these walls right now that are going to come and be baptized. How many believe that with me this morning? Amen. I, I was up this morning before the sunrise, fired up about this. I just having a vision of this place being filled and people being baptized and giving their lives to Jesus. There's nothing more exciting, church. There's nothing more important than seeing somebody's life get to a point where they say, "I'm no longer a tire kicker, but I'm ready to. I'm ready to get on board. I'm ready to get on board." God will go to extreme measures. He'll go to extreme measures. To find you. Have you ever thought about the fact that it may not be a coincidence? It may not be a coincidence that we're together. It may not be a coincidence that you're here this morning. It may not be a coincidence all of the events in your life that God's been leading around and rearranging things so that we could meet along the road. And let me just tell you, it's not all one way because not only do you need me, but I need you. And you all are a blessing in my life. And I don't think it's a coincidence. God brings people together, doesn't he? And he'll go to extreme measures. This is a bonus point. This is not in your notes. This just came to me this morning. In baptism, we personally, it's up on the screen, I think, we personally and publicly received the gift of the cross. It was no coincidence what passage he was reading that morning. He said it was like a sheep to the slaughter and as a lamb before his shears is silent. So he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. 
Who can speak of his descendants, for his life was taken from the earth? The death of Jesus is intimately connected with baptism. If you've never seen a, a baptistry before, it, it, this could be, a, it could be a lake, it could be a river, it could be anywhere. But uh, because we're in a building, we, we make these boxes, and it's kind of interesting, isn't it? It kind of looks like a coffin. kind of does, and it kind of is. Because the box represents the place where we said goodbye to our old way of life and we buried it. And, and, and when we baptize, you can't see inside of here, but there's kind of like a sh- little shallow end. And then where your feet go, there's a deeper end. So you can kind of sit down on this ledge and, and we just lean people back and bring them up in baptism. And, and the idea is that when we go down in the water, it's symbolic of the death of Jesus. Uh, Romans puts it this way, we were buried with him by baptism. And then we were raised to new life so that, so that as Jesus was raised from the dead, we rise to walk in newness of life. So in that one act, that going down and that coming up. And, and that's, why we, that's why we baptize by immersion. Um, and I'm not, I'm not putting down any other ways of baptism, but, but the reason we don't just sprinkle you with water is we don't sprinkle people when they die, right? We cover them over and we, and we immerse them. And then, so, we're, so we're going down into the water and we are coming out. So it's intimately connected with the death and burial of Jesus Christ. Now, if you guys could listen in to some of my pastor friends' meetings, you guys would get a lot of humor out of it because... Um, they're all about my age, and we're not really hip on, on all the culture that's going on. So this last week, I'm meeting with my pastor friends, and we were talking about this new term that uh, we're all seeing on Facebook and stuff called memes. How many know what a meme is? And so, so one of the guys said, what's a meme? What's a meme? He asked me, what's a meme? You ever try to explain to somebody what a meme is? It's not really easy to explain. I, I kind of explained it. It's kind of like a, it's kind of like a cultural icon picture that you put something creative or words with it, and it's passed on and on, usually on the internet. Um, and people have these phrases, and so, <clears throat> and so uh, I looked up a couple of church memes to just explain it to you. Go, go to the next slide if you would. So here's a meme: How I'm gonna be like when I get to heaven, right? <laughs> that's that's a meme. You, you've all seen those on social media. I like that one. Go to the next one. When they announce free refreshments after church, you know, I like that. That's a good one. Uh, here, I like this one. This is this is that Yoda. Love the world so God did that His only Son He gave. I believe in Him. You do live forever. You shall and perish. You shall not. Three sixteen John. <clears throat> Those are memes, but you know, we were as we were talking about that, our 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 minds started got creative. We thought, you know, you know, we ought to come up with pastor memes. Go to the next slide, and I don't have any words to go with this, but here's, and these are these are not humorous, but 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 as I think about this, and and I think about some 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 phrases I could put with this related to baptism, I would say something like, "And we're afraid to get our hair wet." Or, or I'm too embarrassed to get up in front of everybody in public. You see what I mean? 
in, in relation to the cross and what baptism means? Is, is it a big deal for us, you know, is it too much shame for us to, to, to go through that experience of, of identifying with us? And, and I had this thought that kind of went through my mind of Jesus, you know, he's hanging on the cross and, and baptism is accepting that gift and it's personalizing it. And here's the thought I had this morning. Don't leave him hanging. Don't leave him hanging. He hung himself out there for each and every one of us. The Bible says he died once for all. Once for all means once for all people and once for all time. And, and, and there is a sense in which, uh, you know, baptism, it's, it's not really essential. You know, I was saved by grace through faith. I don't need to do that. He did that, and, and I don't believe to the extent of being baptized. I'm not trying to be hard on us this morning, but I'm just saying, in light of the cross, is baptism asking too much? I won't do it this morning because I got, got my new boots, and you know, and this, that sounds terrible, doesn't it? You know. But one time when I was preaching on baptism, I just jumped jumped in the tank. I jumped in the tank while I was preaching on baptism, and I went under the water just to kind of relieve the pressure for everybody. <laughs> and just it, it, it's it's so what? I got my hair wet or whatever. Jesus Jesus hung on the cross for us, and it personally and publicly receives that gift. So here's this dignified man who, who is willing to do that. God will provide, this is the next point, God will provide water in your desert to make you his own. He will come. He wasn't just in a physical desert. He was in a spiritual desert. Whatever desert you're in, God will provide water in your desert. And he says, I want to come right to you. I will provide water. I'm not going to ask you to come out of the desert to come to me. I will come to you in the desert. I'll provide water in the desert. I'm going to come right where you are, just where you are, what you're going through right now. God comes to you. And then, and, then, and then I love what the, the eunuch says. What hinders me from being baptized? Nothing should stand in your way of being baptized. Not how dignified you are, not, not any of those things. Here's the, here's the one who works for the queen, her most trusted, her treasurer. He's in charge of the money. He's got a dignified position, and he's willing to do it. I, I remembered the day when I was talking about baptism in Illinois and one of my board members came up to me after church and said, Pastor, I would like to be baptized. I'm thinking, you're on my board, man. <laughs> he'd been on my board, you know, since I'd first come to the church. I just assumed he'd been baptized. And he had. He was, a, he was a Lutheran pastor's kid and he had been baptized as a baby. And we, we don't diminish that. We don't say that's invalid. We believe that God does something at those times, but it's similar to us dedicating a child to the Lord. 
And we're saying our child belongs to the Lord. And so he was baptized. So it was a big deal for that Lutheran pastor's kid who had become a member of our church and who had been on our board to come up and say, you know, my daddy and mom did it for me, but I want to say, I want to say, this is me, my choice. I'm following Jesus, and I believe, and I don't just believe, but I believe to the extent of being baptized. What hinders you? And finally, baptism is a gateway to joy. I'm going to ask the worship team to come back. The city, the Bible says that Samaritan city, when they baptized the people, they said the city was filled with joy. And then it's kind of interesting because they leave the city and they go down to the one guy, and after the one guy is baptized... The passage ends the same way. He went his way rejoicing. He went his way rejoicing. Man, there is nothing more exciting than to, to be baptized and to say, I belong to Jesus. Hey, I'll just be so bold and say, you know, uh, we've got a couple that are planning on being baptized. And I got some t-shirts. I got some dry t-shirts if anybody wants to be baptized today. I know that we have one that's going to be baptized next week that couldn't be baptized today. Maybe maybe you'd say, maybe not today, but next week I'd like to be baptized and come prepared to do that. I would just encourage you, encourage you to do that and just to talk to us this week and we would be glad to baptize you. It's kind of a big deal. It's kind of a big deal. The New Testament doesn't know of any non-baptized believers. The only, the only believer I can think of that was ever not baptized, but it was before the resurrection, was the thief on the cross. Receives Jesus just before, just before he's crucified. But after the resurrection, everyone that, everyone that believed in the New Testament was, was baptized. And it's exciting. And, it's, and I'm so pumped today that our guitar players getting baptized. That's awesome. Let's hear it for James. Next Sunday, his son's getting baptized. And today, Belinzi's getting baptized. So we're real excited about that. Um, let's go to the Lord in prayer right now. Lord, we just thank you for this day, and we thank you for these, Lord, who have decided, Lord, that uh, they want to believe in you, Lord, to the extent of being baptized and to claim, Lord, your death and your resurrection, God, as as their own, Father, and to say, I receive that free gift, and I thank you for it, for what you did for me on the cross, and you are my Lord and Savior, and I just thank you, Lord, for these that are doing that this morning. And I just pray, Lord, that you sort of put in my heart this morning. We pray for people in this auditorium right now, maybe who are thinking about it, and those, Lord, that are outside of this building right now who who need, Lord God, to be baptized. We just ask in Jesus' name, ask in Jesus' name that, in this city, in Knoxville, in North Knoxville, at this time, many, 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 many people are going to be baptized. Lord, I see the day when very soon one service isn't going to hold us and we'll have to have another service to accommodate the folks. And 
not so we can call one another and say how many were baptized, but because you see people who are on their road and on their journey and in their desert. And you know what they're going through. I met people this morning, Lord, that it's their first time here. God, they're going through their own deserts right now and you know all about it. And We just thank you, Lord, that they're here and that you're here and that you're ministering to them. and You know all about it. We thank you for it. We thank you, Lord, for these that are being baptized in Jesus' name. And everyone said amen. Amen. I think we'll baptize first. This is Malinzi. Malinzi was in our last...